Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Paul Hederman. Welcome, Paul. Um, I have a, uh, a little chat group associated with BatGap.com, the, the blog where I archive all these interviews. And just the other day, someone said, hey, you should interview Paul Hederman. And I said, well, it so happens that he's my next scheduled guest. And then several people chimed in and said, oh, boy, Paul Hederman. That should be, <laughs> that should be interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so you've got a sort of a fan base out there, I guess. Um, and in preparation for this, I've listened to quite a few hours of your, of your podcast talks. Um, and I have several observations. Um, one is you really have a gift for being able to kind of, you know, carry on a sustained dialogue uh, or a sustained talk, you know, for an hour or so uh, without repeating yourself and, and you keep it interesting. And so I'm, I'm impressed with that. I couldn't do it. Um, and you don't repeat yourself from week to week for the most part. I mean, every, every one I've heard is something new. So that's pretty cool. Um, second thing, I've, I sort of have gathered bits and pieces of your story by listening to these, and we'll fill in the gaps. But um, you you mentioned that you you know you often mention that you have a uh, experience with recovery because you had been addicted to cocaine and perhaps other things. So that that, that comes into it. And you, you mentioned several significant shifts or awakenings. One that happened on an airplane on the way to Australia when you went deeper and deeper and deeper. And you also mentioned something about you know, being in an audience with some teacher, some a woman of some, uh, whom, I don't know who it was, maybe Gangaji or somebody, and, and having a big shift. Um, and it's not so much that, you know, these little individual bits of the story are that significant. I mean, most people say it's not my story that counts, it's the, it's the sort of reality underlying it. But what I find from hearing, you know, people's feedback from this show is that when they listen to several dozen interviews and each person tells a slightly kind of different, uh, you know, their own kind of a, life story of what happened to them they they can they find that they can relate to more and more and more sort of bits and pieces and they see that it you know, awakening doesn't have to show up any particular way you know it can be uh, as various as as we as we humans are various and so so they don't get hung up on the notion that well this guy almost got hit by a truck and had his awakening and and you know Therefore, I, I should go jumping in front of trucks. They, they kind of realize that it could happen to me just as I am, you know, without me being like, like so-and-so or, or such-and-such. And so, you know, with that proviso, <coughs> I'm kind of comfortable having people talk about their stories, you know, as long as it's understood that it's not going to necessarily be that way for somebody else as it was for you. So that's a bit of a long-winded introduction, but uh, we have plenty of time. <laughs> so how would you like to unfold it? How would you like to unfold it, Paul? I mean, who are you? What do you do? Uh, how did you get to be where you are? And you know, what's the essence of what what you like to tell people? Uh, well, first of all, the idea. Can you hear me? Yeah, fine. Can you hear me? Yep. The idea that it happened to me. Obviously, that's yeah. Yeah, it doesn't happen to you, and w awakening is happening now. Mm -hmm. It just may not be looking the way you think it should look, mm. <laughs> but awakening is happening at the moment. Uh -huh. All there is is awakening. Yeah? <laughs> through conscious contact, what's awakened conscious contact? I'm sorry, conscious, say that again? Through conscious contact, through seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, what's awakened that? Uh-huh. So in other yeah. words, con by conscious contact, you mean just the experience of life? Yeah. Yeah. What's being demonstrated there but an awakeness, yeah? Right. 
Um, of course, the average person in the world, you know, seven, six, six or seven billion people, you know, are experiencing life and wouldn't necessarily know what the heck you're talking about when you, when you refer to awakening. So what's missing for them? Well, the thing is, what we call experiencing life is really an interpretation, if you look at it. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, there's the experience of life, which is conscious contact, and then there's the mental processes interpretation of it as I'm the one who's having conscious contact. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that to me isn't an experience. That's an experience in itself, but it's not really what you would call experiencing life. It's called experiencing an interpretation. Yeah. Where most of us are living on a like a. Excuse a me, Paul. Point. Let me pause this for a second. Um, yeah. uh, hang on a second. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, so the the video is unpaused. So we we just paused the video for a second because my cat knocked over the light that I use to help illuminate this. And Paul says that's what I'm talking about. So how, ex let's take that incident as an example of what you're talking about and have you elucidate well, what was What was your reaction to that? What was the reaction to that cat knocking over the light? My reaction was I couldn't pay attention to what you were saying because I had yeah, to yeah, deal with exactly. the light. And so I, but I want to pay attention to what you're saying in order to interact with you. And so I felt I needed to pause the video to kind of deal with the situation. Yeah, that's an interpretation, eh? It's an interpretation, yeah. I mean, I suppose I could have interpreted it differently and just sort of like continued on even though the light was knocked over and the cat was getting in the oh. way. So what was the experience there? It was more of an interpretation than the cat knocking over the light. The cat knocking over the light was the catalyst and then the mind did everything else, yeah? Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't, is there anything wrong with interpret? I mean, we interpret no, things all the time. Nothing wrong at all. It's just, I, to me, it's valuable to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I'm, yeah, if I'm seeing, if I'm, if if I'm taking an interpretation to be my experience, that's or that I'm experiencing something. That's the product of the interpretation, the feeling that it's I experiencing something. I see. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that. Well, well, let me sort of get at what you're saying. We'll understand it more and more clearly. Um, it seems on the one hand, interpretation is necessary in order to function. I mean, we have to sort of, is it a red light or is it a green light? You know, should I stop or should I go? That we have to interpret what we perceive in order to, to, yeah. fu to function in life. Uh, but on the other hand, there could be false interpretations. You know, we can sort of uh, misunderstand uh, who we actually are or what, what's, what, some, uh, what other people are or what they're saying or what they're doing. And we, we cause no end of difficulties for ourselves by falsely interpreting our situations so are you, you so i suppose you're not sort of dismissing the value of interpretation altogether you you're maybe saying interpretation should be ideally more um reflective of what the reality is is that what you're No at? i don't think it should be what i what I, i'm putting out is that just see the interpretation that's based on the interpretation that there's a you having that experience as a you that life is happening to. That is what I like to see. The interpretation is fine, but the product of it is there's a sense that it's you that's interpreting. The Y-O-U. Uh -huh. To me, that's the basic false interpretation, that there's a you interpreting. I don't care about the interpretations. That's what happens. But the sense of there's a you that's doing it is the, to me is not, that's a little dicey. I don't believe that to be so. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying that there's kind of a fundamental error or mistake of the intellect or whatever you might want to call it, which in which we 
assume or perceive that there's a you doing these things. Yeah. And then yeah. that that fundamental error builds a whole house of cards in which yeah. you know we screw everything up. Well, the feeling of we screwing everything up would be the product of that that thing. Yeah, the sense of there's a me, let's say if my head is going crazy, driving yeah. me crazy, let's say. Mm -hmm. So the sense that it, there's a you being driven crazy to me is the product of that activity called selfing. Not the driving crazy, yeah, but the you that's being driven crazy. And I think a lot of times we don't see that level. We see, yeah, I'm being driven crazy. And I'd really like to have some relief from that thing that's driving me crazy. But we don't see there's a sense that there's a you being driven crazy. That, I would say, is the, uh, is the dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can sort of get over that one, then there's a big weight taken off the shoulders. So. For sure. And then by, <laughs> by the weight being taken off the shoulders, you know you're onto something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you so... Yeah, and a lot of teachers are saying something along those lines. You you have your own distinctive way of saying it, but you know you you hear that echoed in a lot of what a lot of people say yeah. that you know that this sort of false sense of self that um, kind of life rotates around is is the the core problem. Sort of like the old astronomers who thought that the Earth was the center of the solar system, and they went to great pains to sort of figure out why the planets moved as they did because it didn't make sense they'd go in these little loops and everything yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then they finally put the sun at the center it, you know it all got a lot simpler see the thing with this is there it can be a true or a false sense of self it's both of them are bogus to me huh so so is there any sense of self that's not bogus to you no huh so what what would you how would you define a true sense of self versus a, a false sense of self as being bogus. So there's no distinction between them. So why would you call them true and false if they're both bogus? <laughs> I didn't. You did. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you, oh, I'm you sorry. Said, <laughs> you said false, therefore I just used this opposite, which is true. Oh, okay. So you're saying that any sense of self is yeah. bogus. <laughs> well, why do you, why do you, you know, check it out. So you and your own ex in your own experience and of course words limit us yeah, bec because yeah. they refer to you's and me's and so on but y you lo no longer live with a sense of self uh, par again pardon the term <laughs> pardon the terminology i don't know how else to say it <laughs> well there's selfing going on but uh -huh. i don't there's not the sense of being the one that it implies yeah okay and so when the you selfing implies selfing is like a verb yeah mm -hmm. like a mental verb but it implies a noun, or it's an activity that implies someone that's doing it or the activity is being done too. To me, that's the, that's the, that's the crux of the matter. Not the, uh, if it's good selfing or, quote, bad selfing, but the implied feeling of being the one that it's about or the one that's doing something. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That implied sense is, is the product of selfing. Yeah, the f so it doesn't say it's a thought, it's a sense of self, yeah? Mm -hmm. It's a vague feeling that you're a someone. Right. And as soon as that someone becomes the center of the interpretation, then it's called self-centeredness, yeah? Mm -hmm. And it's, can't, it's impossible for the mind, while identified as a self, to escape the system of self-centeredness. Self can't get out of self, yeah? Right. Yeah. So, seems to me like a key word in that is identified. To me, that's the act. That's the verb. To me, selfing is the act of being identified as mm -hmm. a self. 
That's what it is. That's a good definition. Are you aware that Buckminster Fuller wrote a book called I Seem to Be a Verb? No. He, He did many years ago. And you know who Buckminster Fuller is. He's the guy yeah, who designed yeah, the geodesic dome and all that. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever read the book, but it seems like it might so be. What did he say? I didn't read the book, but it seems like it might be germane to what you're saying here. What uh, did he say, that uh, that he's a verb? No, he, he wrote a book, and the title of it was, I Seem to Be a Verb. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, would, I would drop out the seem and say, you are a verb. Right. <laughs> and so... Yeah. I've heard you use this term selfing a lot, and I think um, it bears a little bit of elaboration or repetition because it seems to be the crux of what you what you teach or say. So let's dwell on that a little bit more. Um, you, you said it a minute ago in a beautiful nutshell phrase. Maybe you can dredge that up again, but it was sort of, uh, say it again. How, what do you mean by selfing? I don't know what I said before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, make up a new I, one. Uh, well, selfing to me is an activity of a mental process. Yeah, mm-hmm. that activity is called I call selfing, which is the mental process is attempting to produce a sense of being a noun. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening and attentive to that process in a certain uh, relationship with it, which is you're identified as what it's talking about, which is a self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The selfing implies that there's a self, yes? Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about something, you're thinking about something in relation to you, yeah? The something in the you are in, in like cahoots, yeah? And so let's say people want to get relief from that something they're thinking about, but they want to get relief from it as a you. Mm-hmm. Those two are joined. The something and the you are joined. It's not you having something bother you. The feeling of you being bothered is the whole scene, yeah? Yeah, that's the the crux of the problem. That's the selfing. So uh, to me, to have an opinion about, oh, I wish this would stop bothering me, Mm -hmm. that's the pronunciation of the interpretation, that there's a me that something's bothering, yeah? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, while you're proclaiming you're wanting to escape, you're actually reaffirming your seeming imprisonment. That's what I see. And so and it's how it's done with language, yes? It's done with concepts. The the mind in language is almost like hypnotizing itself, yeah? It's taking it's 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 capturing the reflective quality of mind and having that mind lose itself in what it's reflecting, the sense of, which is the selfing. So then in that losing itself and what it's reflecting, it becomes what it's reflecting in, in a way, yeah? So now I take myself to be a body, yeah? And so this body uh, puts me in a position, yes? It's locatable. I can say, here I am, mm-hmm. yeah? I'm here right now in this room, but see, then the mind uses that object and then it fixates it on it somewhere else at some other time, yeah? It just goes into a mental realm about you as a body. Because it can't think of you as not a body. So it takes you out of here. So now I'm here sitting, but my mind's thinking about me somewhere else at some other time. What could possibly happen to me somewhere Mm -hmm. else at some other time? And it's producing physiological effects while I'm sitting here. So I can be flipping out talking to you on a Saturday morning when there's no inherent threat in my room (laughs) because my head isn't here. 
for all intents and purposes. It's thinking about next week, and I'm going to be destitute next week. Yeah, you could be worrying about radiation coming from Japan or something yeah, and yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. getting all keyed up. Yeah. So, so do you think that um, language is the culprit, that it's the, the actual way we use language that causes us to mis misunderstand or misperceive you know, the, this whole structure of life? Or do you think that it's more organic than that? You know, in other words, it's somehow hardwired into, the, into, the, into our makeup that we, that we kind of fall into this, mis, this delusion and that we, we have developed language to just reflect the way we customarily experience life. I wouldn't care about the answer to that question. I would just see if there seems to be an effect called like irritable, restless, and discontent. Mm -hmm. And if I can just look at maybe what's causing it, not the reasons why, but seeing, oh, what's the cause of this effect? And then tell the truth about the cause, the effect will change. I don't care why it's happening. All I know is from the absence of that activity, from the punchline not being delivered that when it's selfing there's not a sense of being a self there's there's a real freedom and in, there's an active freedom it's like freedom ming it's not a freedom as if it's a something that occurred and now it's had but it's an activity of mind now it's freed from that bondage of being a self yeah yeah freed yeah. I think freed from that bondage is a key phrase. Yeah. So when you're giving meetings and you know having little thought songs with people and stuff, um, how do you uh, help them, um, you know, kind of shift in their orientation, you know, to sort of actually live what you're talking about as opposed to just sort of listening to your words and having it be a nice concept? How do you actually affect some kind of a alteration in the way they operate? By not having any intention to do that. But then it, somehow it does get done in some cases. Something happens, yes. It does happen with people. It seems to, yes. Some, somehow just listening to you sort of subtly kind of alters their perspective or something. Well, it's sort of like, let's say the mind is in a, a, like a, a mental yogic posture, yeah? Mm -hmm. So I would call it self-centeredness. So it's sort of in this sort of twisted position, so whatever it receives is sort of is is based on how it holds it so it's in a twisted selfing type of way if you can just entertain this possibility in the in the reaching the when the mind reaches for this possibility it brings it out of that mental yogic posture mm. and then there's a sense of presence and people can feel it it's, huh. it's obvious yeah yeah and um do you find that in some cases at least um it it sort of matures out of being just a sort of a, a thing that they experience on Saturday mornings or whenever they meet with you uh, into something that uh, abides. Oh or, yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it's, it's, so initially it may be sporadic and eventually it kind of stabilizes for some yeah. pe for a yeah. lot of people. Here, you know, this is a place of time and space, so it can, it translates as if it deepens. Yeah. Uh huh. It can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen uh, it anyway. That's how that's how it looks. For people, I have a belief in you know not a belief I'd say, but in this whole uh, see like I'm a mailman, yeah. So in a way, I'm just inviting people. But are I you find are you literally a mailman, or are you just no, saying no, oh, no, no, <laughs> not, no, not no, a bad no, job actually? No. But you, so you're saying that you know metaphorically a you're a mailman. Yes. I'm just inviting them, yeah. I don't I'm not doing anything other than that. So, but I found that repetition is helpful. I think so too. You yeah. know, I mean, I listen to a lot of this stuff, and and I'm, you know, sometimes I think it's just the way my brain works. But it helps me to hear even the very same point 
multiple times because I kind of settle into deeper and deeper appreciation yeah. of it. Well, your mind is in a different posture when it hears it. So there's like a, it can sort of quote unquote get it a little in a different light at a certain time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the and the receptivity progressively grows. You know, you just kind of okay, I got it to that degree, and oh, now I see there's a deeper value to this. You know, it just sort of matures. As long as the I know doesn't come in. See, if the I know comes in, it's neutered. Yeah. Yeah, that te uh, that kind of makes a, f a flowing thing static. Yeah. You know, it's like as if it were something you could kind of grasp and hold on. Oh, you to. know it now. It's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to find out anything about it. You know it. <laughs> That's the dilemma. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, uh, I, I kind of like this idea of uncertainty and, and ambiguity yeah. where, you know, there's there's never sort of a, a a final kind of absolute got it, you know, now I can just rest on my laurels. But, but always this, I mean, you know, always this sort of like, well, do we ultimately really know anything for certain? That's, That's that, to, that to me is a much more comforting place than, than the sort of gripping on to some certainty. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. True security here is insecurity. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's beautiful. It's it's a real paradox, but I I really think there's a lot of wisdom in that. <clears throat> so uh, if you don't mind, let let's kind of I, I know this is like your story, and, and a lot of people don't like to talk about their stories, but if you don't mind, let's we'll take the opportunity to let the dog in, and then. Um, talk a bit about your story, so to speak. I mean, you know, you've spoken about recovery and, and so on in your talks, and how did you kind of come along? I mean, you, you, you were obviously in a period where you were suffering from addiction. You've spoken about that. How did you get into that? How did you get out of that first? And how did you, um, you know, originally get inspired by the whole spiritual thing as opposed to just sort of, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, I, when I uh, share my story in recovery, I always say my golden years were between two and four, right? <laughs> because, uh, and everything went downhill from there. <laughs> I think a lot so, of people could say that. <laughs> so in my in my life experience in the story of the action figure, uh, I have a very uh, deep, like, contextual memory of what it was like when I was young, and when I was young. Uh, you know, when I was playing, I wasn't thinking, will I be playing next week? Because I had no idea of time yet. And I didn't walk around my house and see, I should have a bigger room, and my mother should look a lot nicer than she does. None of that was going on. And, you know, I'd be playing with ants, and that's all there was that was going on, playing with ants. And uh, there was an immediacy and spontaneity that was so present that there wasn't any observ observation of it being special. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And, and most like, most kids have that, I'd say. I believe yeah. so. That's yeah. why you really like when you see a baby and stuff. Yeah, so, a lot of innocence. Yeah, so I, I have a remembrance of that somehow. And um, I used to I, play with ants, too. I used to pour sugar on the kitchen floor and watch them you know, make little trails for them to follow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to have wars between red and black <laughs> by putting a cube of sugar on a, near a curb where, in where I used to live and then seeing which army was stronger and the reds used to kill the blacks easier than the blacks it took two blacks to kill one red it took one red to kill a black uh. so yeah i'd be there for days watching this whole <laughs> this little like uh <laughs> roman empire-ish thing <laughs> two two things watching it so yeah but there was um there was a sense of something that wasn't made valuable it was just the way it was and yet uh there was then a growing out of it it seemed and then I got very caught up in the thought stream, you know, and 
this idea of who I was. I didn't have a strong sense of who I was, so there was a very f feeling of discomfort there, and it just grew and grew. So, um, I mean, as you're getting into your teens and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I remember one time I went to school one day. I was 11 years old, and a, a girl went home, and I mean, a girl said hello to me in the, in the hallway, and I went home and wondered what she meant by it for about five hours. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what started to come up and it became just overbearing. Mm. So I wanted relief, and I found it by drinking. Yeah. So when I drank, see, what I call alcoholism is that obsession, and actually now I believe it's an identification as self, but at that point I was suffering from the obsession with self. And I needed relief, and my first solution to that was alcohol, which actually just furthered the bondage to the idea of being a self. And yeah. then um, I went and I became an addict. I just, um, my life took a bad turn. And as soon as I started to use, I found out I had a magnetic appeal to people in uniform. As soon as I started to use, I started getting arrested a lot. And I started <laughs> having a lot of consequences. Yeah. And I found that the you Using what, cocaine, you mean? Well, everything. But oh. I used basically everything. A lot of hallucinogens at first. Uh -huh. And then I got into the narcotics as I grew up, yeah. got older. And I used it intravenously too. So, uh -huh. I, uh, so I, have a, uh, I have a similar story, but I, uh, fortunately, mine was compacted into a one-year period. Oh yeah, uh, and, oh, that's uh, good. I, I also had a couple experiences with the men in uniform, but somehow, after about a year of it, I, I was out of there. You know. No, I sort of had a. It was going to be a long little wrestling match. So. Yeah. And that's what happened, and then uh, I got to be 36 years old. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Which was a, you know, an amazing event in itself. Yeah, congratulations I, on making it that far. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I finally, uh, I had spent two years in a drug and alcohol program, mm -hmm. 85 to 87, to try to become civilized, really. I was like a wild dog. And mm. um, they didn't have what I was looking for. I didn't know what it was, but I realized they didn't have it. So I left there. I graduated from there. And I went back to drugs and alcohol again for 10 months. And then I mm -hmm. washed up on the shores of AA mm -hmm. in 1988, uh, March 21st. And then I got, uh, I've been sober and clean ever since. Good. So what happened is that became the basis. I mean, in my life, whatever books I read or scriptures or anything like that, the thing that really delivered the goods was recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that book, I identified with every problem it described perfectly. And now I've become, I've experienced every solution they talk about. So it's the most living book that I've ever met here. What book I mean, are you talking about? The Book of Recovery, the AA Big Book, it's called. Oh, it's an actual book that they call it. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, okay. yeah. That whole program's based out of the first 164 pages of yeah. that book. So that became the platform or the basis of a life that, uh, it, in other words, it dealt with the functioning. I couldn't yeah. function here. I, well, I understand function. that AA yeah. is a, is really a very spiritual program from what yeah. I've heard about it. Oh it's, yeah. It's pretty so, cosmic. I mean they they have these principles that that go really deep. Exactly. So yeah. my life has been based on those principles. I'm talking about the action figure life and then my life now for all intents and purposes from outside would look like it's quite manageable. Mm -hmm. Where in fact how that occurs is I admit that I'm not managerial quality, yeah. <laughs> I can't run a, I can't run a life. Yeah. And so that was a biggest, that was a very big um, principle in recovery for me. I had spent two years in this program, 
And when I left there, I didn't really like the people there or the president or much or the program, but I had to admit my life looked better with them running it than it ever did with me running it. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a sense of what the whole principle of recovery is, which is turning one's will and life over to the care of something greater than self. Yeah. Now, it was years later in the program when this information that I was receiving started really having a big effect out here in the translation. And that was because self is a very important word in recovery. They use it quite a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this one statement. In it. You want me to go into this? Or? Sure, yeah. No, this is interesting. Yeah, this is good stuff. Right. So there was this one statement in there. And so after some of these, um, let's say, shifts were occurring, you would see you would see them in a reflection by how they translated, basically. Yeah, like Jesus says, you'll know the tree by its fruits. Yeah. Right. So I was involved in doing workshops in recovery uh, about about doing how to do the steps of Mm -hmm. the AA program, which is a program of recovery from alcoholism. And it's a quote-unquote spiritual program. So I was, uh, so I would be studying, speaking out of this big book, this AA book, and then I would run into the word self and I had, I saw it in a whole new light and Mm -hmm. I got all these new downloads about it. But the basic idea of it was that it was a foreign installment, so to speak. It was sort of like more a parasitical process of a a mental process. In other words, its quality is parasitical. It sort of takes a life and makes it its life, yeah? And even even AA had that spin on it, or just that was was your take on it? Yeah, yeah. This is so... The AA spin was that the root of the problem is obsession with self, and what I did is just... I. I just looked at it a little bit different, and I said, no, I don't think that's the case. It's identification as self. Hmm. And that's a huge difference, because if you're fighting self as something other than you, even if you win, you lose, yeah? Hmm. You have to see it's not you, to me. And, hmm. that, and when, I entered, when that happened, when that was broken, then I knew it by its fruits, because I had a radical relief. Yeah. A radical relief from the bondage of self, which has spanned many years now. So, was it a radical relief that happened just like a, in a moment, like no. thir- Thursday the 14th at 8 p.m., bingo, no, or more no, it no. evolved into it? I had things like that, but those things didn't really do it. It was more like a leaking through a canvas. Yeah. yeah? In other words, it just leaked through what I was calling myself, and then... <laughs> <laughs> what my mind was calling myself and then uh, uh, that what was leaking through undermined mind's idea of what it was calling me yeah yeah right and so it wasn't like it was more of a collapse not a, mm-hmm. something else in other words it, the floor eroded and it dropped it dropped yeah off. They say in Zen that sometimes awakening sneaks up on you like a thief in the night yes yeah exactly and so so then I was doing these uh, workshops, but it, they shifted dramatically, and they never shifted back. I stopped doing the nuts and bolts of things, and I was just speaking about the uh, recognizing what you're not, because if you can see it as not you, the next thing the mind can do is entertain being free of it. If you see it as you, the best you can do is get therapy for it, do modalities, practices, which I have no, you know, I have opinions about them, but let's you get into this doing and having to try to fix something. But if it's not you, you are, that whole drive of seeking can be abandoned, and then there's a living as if there's found, yeah? Yeah, found, yeah. Found, found. 
-hmm. Yeah, so that's what sort of is occurring. It's not like it occurred because it's a verb. It just occur. It's occurring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's just a perpetual living as as having found. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, would it be fair to say? Well, I might be. Maybe we're getting ahead of the story a little bit. But um, this is a theme that comes up in a lot of these interviews, where I sort of, in my own experience, feel like that the the kind of living as having found can can actually paradoxically coexist with the notion that there's still, you know, progress, or if you like that word, yet to be made, or evolution, or growth, or whatever. It's sort of like, you know, we we haven't necessarily reached the pinnacle of of human evolution or or spiritual possibility just because we've shifted into a sense of of you know contentment and and non-attachment to self. There's you know, I mean, how, can you relate to that? I mean, since since you had this sort of shift, gradual as it may have been, do you feel like the Paul Hedeman of, ni- of 2011 is wiser or somehow uh, a better uh, mouthpiece for this truth than the Paul Hedeman of four or five years ago? Well, you mean Paul Hedeman like the musical instrument, the action figure? Yeah, the, the action figure. sort of. I would the, say the action figure has gotten... By having that note blown through it a lot, mm-hmm. it's gotten a little more uh, timber in it. Yes. Yeah, good way to put it. But I don't um, see. I don't see. Uh, the space has nothing to do with this place. Right. Uh, this is just a translation mm-hmm. of that space. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a there's a line from the Incredible String String Band. There was an old group in the '60s that I sometimes like to quote: um, "Light, light that is one, though the lamps be many." Um, yeah. Or you, or you could take the analogy of electricity. I mean, you have the same electrical field, and you can plug all kinds of contraptions into it, uh, different different intensities of light bulbs, for instance. And maybe as as the action figure, as you like to use that term, you know, we can go. <laughs> I'm really mixing metaphors here, but you can go from a 10 watt bulb to a 20 watt bulb to a 50 watt bulb to a thousand watt bulb over the course of a lifetime. But yeah. you're not identifying with the bulb. It's more like you are the field. That's right. See, the it's sort of like the uh, wiring of the action figure can be rewired to handle more juice. Yeah. But it's not it, it's not quantifying the juice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you even find perhaps that you know since you've kind of found yourself in this position of being a teacher, that no, I'm not a teacher. Remember, okay. I'm what a, would you like to call yourself? I'm just an inviter. Okay, since you're since you're not inviter, inviter, <laughs> inviter. Since you're fairly involved inviter, you know, with a website and giving satsangs and all that stuff, do you find that um, it's almost as though the uh, the juice has begun to flow with greater volume? It's it's sort of like, oh, okay, if you're going to play this role, here here, kid, we'll give you some more <laughs> juice well, to I, play with. I found that in uh, I don't know, you know, this is just an interpretation of it, but yeah, I found like. Um, <sighs> When there's been an intimation of that juice in my life, I'm us- I've been usually willing to open up to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find the, the the whole point is if there's the willingness, the energy will come, so to speak. Yeah. If you yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. Like that old movie uh, uh, with Kevin Costner about baseball. If you build it, they will come. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> like I didn't. Yeah. I found in my like when I first started doing things in recovery. I didn't even want to do it. Someone just said, I think you'd be good at this. So I started doing it, and all I did was show up. Uh-huh. And, and I batted a 1,000 because I actually never showed up. Yeah. I yeah. 
I just had something that maybe people have a difficulty getting into that posture. That posture comes easy for me. Mm -hmm. I just sort of let go. Yeah, sure. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying at the beginning of the interview. It seems like you have a, a gift for just, uh, you know, expounding what you expound and it comes easily and it, it's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets to be used. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's backtrack a little bit. So, you know, you went through recovery and you kind of underwent this shift in, from an attachment to or an identification with individual bound self to a much more relaxed, um, free kind of condition. And but, uh, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, the, see, the thing, all there was was the seeing that I was not that. There was nothing else that was done. Right. Yeah, but somehow yeah. that was seen. Somehow you saw that. Yes, it yeah. was seen. Okay, and but I think you, I also heard you allude in your um, audios that I listened to, to having, you know, gotten involved in some practices like you meditated, you went yeah, to some satsangs. Yeah, yeah. What what sort of things did you do along the way? Well, when I was young, I was, uh, I was with a guru from India when I was about eighteen to about twenty-two. Who's that? And actually, a guy named Guru Maharaji. He was oh, a yeah, young, I know. He was a sure, young the, kid at that time. The 14-year-old perfect dude. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. That was, and that was a really weird situation for me because, uh, you know, he was the Lord of the Universe. Right. And, uh, and there I was. And so he was the Lord of the Universe. I don't like the Lord of the Universe. What does that make me? <laughs> it's a very painful relationship. <laughs> yeah. I, I meditated. I like the meditation and everything. And uh, it's funny. I got run over by a car twice in one night. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, I was in the hospital for a long time, mm -hmm. and I saw him quite a lot in in uh, in some realm. Huh. I saw tons of videos of his that were never made. I was just just uh, just in your mind's eye. Just yeah. It was just huh. on and on and on. Did you get but run it, over by the same never, car twice or two different yeah, cars? Yeah, I got run over by the same car twice oh, in okay. one night. The guy hit me, didn't know what he hit, and he backed up over me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It told me a lot, just that, that experience. Yeah. So obviously the Guru Maharaji thing didn't... Uh, didn't uh, well, I did a lot of meditation and stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, then I looked into Zen and stuff, but then I went back to drinking and using pretty, you know, ferociously for years. And then uh, when I got recovered, when I started getting sober, uh, after a couple of years, I went back to the things I thought had worked in my life, which was meditation, and I used to do massage and polarity therapy, mm -hmm. Tai Chi, Chi Kung. So I tried to do that again. And so I got interested in that, and I started traveling to Asia did some retreats in Thailand, did some retreats here, went to Zen Center, meditated, had a nun I used to see every, you know, once or twice a year, she'd give me an idea of how I was doing and mm -hmm. have like a little interview with her. And, uh, Is she the one who was Adya Shanti's teacher by any chance? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Because no, I know he, his, his Zen teacher was a woman also. No, she wasn't a teacher. I would just go in and see her like okay. twice a year and she would just tell me how I was doing, you know, mm -hmm. by listening to me, whatever. Well, you're, you're so, kind of mentioning all those things in a sort of a cavalier way as though that was all just sort of entertainment and didn't actually have any value for you. Is that is that true? or was That's it, did you, your interpretation, Ro. Okay, I, I just kind of, but am I wrong? I mean, or did you feel like, okay, this was actually um, somehow instrumental in bringing me to where I am now or something? 
excuse me, the worst use of yeah, the word me. You'd have to, where am I now? That's the thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. say on that level of action figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I have, res- it was, uh, what I really liked about it was you couldn't really quantify it, but it was a, a sincere uh, desire, let's say. Yeah. Focus. Yeah. And I was doing the best I could, but what I found over years later was there was a certain template going on I I wasn't aware of, which was the sense of being the one that was doing and having. And that right. was the fraudulent aspect of it all. So mm-hmm. no matter how much effort I seemingly did, no matter how much sincerity was conjured up, it was totally defined by the system I was moving in. Yeah? Yeah. Coming from a doer and a haver, and I saw that system fails, and therefore, uh, when I saw that in its naked light, that personally or impersonally, it fails for me, then there was a dropping of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, just, you know, there's that old saying, it takes a thorn to remove a thorn, and, uh, you know, there's another another saying, where a man standing in the middle of a mud puddle, let's say, is a big one, and somebody's out on the edge, and the man says, how do I get out of this mud puddle? And the guy on the edge says, well, take a step. And he said, well, wait a minute, you're asking me to put my foot in the mud again. And, yeah, but you do that, and you do that enough times, and you'll come to the edge of the mud puddle, and you'll be out. So, you know, to throw in one more saying, there's a Zen saying that, uh, you know, enlightenment may be an accident but spiritual practice makes you accident prone so you know and finally one more I mean you're taking a boat across the river let's say and uh, you get to the other shore it's time to get out of the boat it's not that the boat was worthless uh, but it's no longer relevant you know yeah I mean well the funny thing is you were you were the same space was on the other shore you left true true in the in this case, I mean, metaphors have their limitations, uh, but I, I have a bias. Uh, you know, maybe I'll drop it yeah, at some point. At no, some I know. point, yeah, yeah. Which is just that you know, although there may not be any any ultimate value to spiritual practices, they serve a purpose at the stage at which one is inclined to do them. You know, and it it's hard to say what if, but it could very well be that you know, those things you did were instrumental in getting you to the point where you no longer needed to do them and they no longer seemed relevant and the whole notion of an I doing some kind of practice seemed ludicrous. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason I emphasize that is that a lot of people, they'll they'll do some kind of spiritual practice for 20 years and then they'll have this realization and then they'll tell everybody you don't need to do spiritual practices because from that perspective they seem superfluous you know but at, at, at the stage yeah. at which at yeah. which the people they're yeah. speaking to are at they might be useful well the thing is if you feel like you need to do it you better do it yeah do it whatever yeah. and, it, and if, if you, you no don't longer feel f- like you do need to do it then don't, don't do, do it. it yeah that's that's that makes but sense. if you feel like you need to do it and you try, and you're trying to use a philosophy to give you permission not to do it you're going to be in a in the mental vice of selfing See, because there's a sense that you really need to do something, but now you're trying to overlay this idea. But there's no one to do, or there's no need to do anything. That doesn't work. That Very doesn't good work. point. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That doesn't uh, work. That's a that's the subtle non. That's the subtle doing of non-doing. Yeah, it, yeah. and it can become a trap. I think <laughs> it's well, it's it's laid by the mind, and it walks right in. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, no. I have no idea what's going on here. Mm-hmm. All I know, it's not going on to anybody. 
That's all. Yeah. I, I'm on a I'm on a need to know basis. I'm like <laughs> my whole idea is I don't know much. I find out. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Zen, they say the highest form of mind is I don't know. As soon as you're in is if that if that if the state of I don't know is is active, then your experience here is finding out. That's what that's what it translates to here. I don't know translates into finding out here. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like that way of living. And the idea of thinking I know that this had an effect or doesn't is all basically in 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 that same box of uh, interpretation. So I don't care about knowing. It, whatever happened, in a sense, has no relevance because it's not happening now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's kind of, and it's all theory. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It's all theoretical. You know, as but as long as one doesn't make a sort of an I know stance no, no. about the not knowing business, you know, you can you can take anything and turn it into an absolute. That's right. Well, that's what the mind likes to do. Yes, it wants to know. It has a drive to know, and it doesn't. So it wants certainty when true certainty is uncertain, being uncertain. It yeah. wants it wants to have a sense of knowing, but it doesn't realize knowing neuters the activity of finding out because you're going to you're going to try to find out to something that uh reinforces the idea that you knew <laughs> it's uh. all contrived it's all set up yeah see but when that thing is short circuited and to me the short circuiting point is at the point of the identification as yeah mm -hmm. not the not the content of that not trying to partition the good and the bad content to see how it has affected me but the me that is the center of all that dualistic interpretation. It's mm. the false center. Yeah. Uh, I heard a phrase that I, I thought was really clever. Someone said, uh, the bad news is you're in free fall forever. The good news is there's no ground. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to go splat at some point. It's well, just that's like... the thing. If you're, if you're falling, let's say, or you're in uncertainty, the mind is like hands trying to grasp, yes? Yeah. Ask yeah. Some, something, 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 something. If it gets exhausted when the hands stop handing, what what what's found out? Their wings, so to speak. Yeah. yeah good as point. soon as the hands stop grasping or handing, then they they appear to be wings. And yeah. so the whole point, the, your whole solution was not through the handing, but this exhaustion of the handing. Then the wings appear. Yeah. They were always there, but they were being used as hands. So that's the whole point. When the handing is dropped, and I find, well, listen. Even before the handing is dropped, if there's no one that's doing it, that's the dropping of the handing in yeah. a whole different way. It doesn't mean the handing has to stop, but it's still been dropped, yeah? So right. selfie is going on, but it's not implying a self, yeah? Mm -hmm. that, yeah, there's, that, there's, that, there's, that there's like the action that, figure that you, that you refer to that's doing its action figure thing. But yeah. but that's not really the that's not your your ident that's not the identity that no let's say so here's the selfing going on yeah the whole thing is is there's a part of the selfing which is the feeling of being the self or the noun yeah if that's that is just a verb it's not a noun yeah mm -hmm. if you see the whole selfing the whole selfing as a verb then then there's the freedom if the self if part of the selfing appears to be a noun then there's the bondage. That's mm. the activity of being bonded from moment to moment or free from moment to moment. Yeah. And do you feel like it's a black and white on-off situation or there can be degrees of it? In other words, there there's can tons be... tons of degrees of yeah, it. Yeah, many, many, many gradations, right? Yes, yes. That's, this is, that's like from... 
the iron chain to the gold chain of bondage to self. So it yeah. can be really stark cold iron, and then it can be really glistening, very radiant gold. But mm -hmm. they're all different degrees in between, but it's all the activity of be bonded to a self. Yeah. And do you find in your own case that, um, you know, this that you have little discoveries every now and then where you uh, 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 there's some residual bondage that you hadn't even been aware of that that gets released and and a, a sort of a new uh, level of freedom dawns or do you feel like there are no sort of, no sort of unfoldments like that anymore? Well, there's spikes and downloads, but the basic space is always always there. Yes, it's sort of like. A, you know, like gravity, let's say, with people. Uh -huh. Do you Have you ever gone into a cafe and have you heard people talking about the effects of gravity? Uh, not that I can recall. That's I've, right. Yeah, I've had I, both examples. I've gone into cafes and I've heard talks about gravity, but I don't know about the two together. About, <laughs> yes. See, so very rarely do you people, they don't sense the effect of gravity on the body. Because it's just it's taken for granted. Happening. Well, yeah. it's always happening. Yeah, they they mm -hmm. would only know it by its absence. So if they were put in an anti-gravity thing, then they would know. Wow, that was gravity. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. So in the same way, in a way, there's a sense. It's by the absence of self is the presence. Yeah. Uh -huh. When there's the absence of self, that's the presence. And then you know the absence of self by it by the presence. Yeah. Yeah. So if I understand what you're saying, it's sort of like you can be sort of gripped by an identification with self without even knowing it and then when that grip releases uh, then in its absence you notice whoa you know That's this right. is okay this is this well is. you get a sense of what it is when it's clearly not <laughs> yeah yeah and you didn't and you and you didn't realize the extent to which you had been gripped by it and then but That's no right. longer gripped by it there's like this you know contrast See, you learn about it when you're not it yeah good you point you never learn about it when you're it yeah. So, yeah. so when I ha see, like in recovery, we say self-knowledge avails you nothing. So the more and more knowledge you gain as about self, as a self, it's not going to avail you anything because it's not going to lead freedom to freedom from self. Yeah? yeah. Because the whole move of selfing is the claim. Yeah. So huh. instead of like seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, it's I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. Instead of body, my body. Instead of time, my time. So you just look, put a word up on a board, sex, money, and health, and everyone would have a meaning about that mm -hmm. based on their condition, let's say, mm -hmm. of money, sex, and health. But then just add one little word in front of it, and you'll change the weight of it. My money, yeah, my yeah. sex, my health, totally different weight. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between travel heavy or travel light here, the my. Yeah, good point. The my is the act of being identified. Do you find that... Um in certain circumstances, let's say you stub your toe or something, you have a lot of pain, or a cop pulls you over for a traffic violation or something, do you find that there's sort of a, a re-emergence of a sense of self? Sure. No, not it, a sense of self, just physical reaction, contraction. Physical reaction, okay. Yes, contraction and mind. But mind isn't self. It's, a, it's part of the body here, so it contracts. It's, it's reliving something. That's all it does. So in the midst of a, a kind of a traumatic experience like that, the uh, the the uh, how, I don't know how you want to put it, but the sense of the, the non-self, the freedom, the presence doesn't get compromised or diminished. The I'll tell you the truth is, I would say in my own life, particularly in the past, the greatest moments was in an extreme traumatic situation, like when I've almost died. 
back then when I almost died, that was the brightest it's ever been. Because Why is there that? was no selfing going on. Because the selfing is being produced by the system, the body, mm -hmm. yes, the mind. And yeah. so when I, let's say I hit my head on the bottom surfing and my whole nervous system shut down, I mm -hmm. got, almost got paralyzed. There was no selfing going on. Uh. I mean, there's, I don't have, there was this, let's say I, there's a traveling of not being a self, but at that point there was no selfing whatsoever. The verb huh. of selfing stopped. It got, it got startled into stopping completely. Yeah. Interesting. So everything was bright as bright as can be. Yeah, and there was absolutely there was no fear and no anxiety being provoked because there was no narration of the event. Yeah. Then the mind shows up again. It gets it comes out of its startled condition, comes out of the pause, and then claims what's ever happening. Yes, you mm -hmm. notice it. Take of an epiphany. You ever have an epiphany? I think so. If I understand, well, did you ever make a reservation for it? Do you make a reservation? No. For right. Did you call up ahead and ask for Kenny G music? <laughs> Did you? No. 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 It just happened. It just happens. But when it usually, quote unquote, comes to an end, it's usually uh, happens when the mind rises and goes, oh, I just had this incredible experience, this epiphany. As soon as the selfing claims it, it's it. It's new. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. The mind rushes in and kind of takes ownership. That's it. That's the selfing. So that happens at a big event, and it will claim its own absence. Huh. Self. Yes? So yeah. it will take its own absence and make it into a spiritual experience it had. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> See, like they say, a thief in the night. This is a thief in the day and night. That's yeah. all it does is claim. It claims life as its own. Yeah. So I think this is going well. I think people are going to enjoy this talk. Um, do you still work with uh, people in recovery, or do you just work with people in general these days? No, I work with some people in recovery too. S specifically, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and are you able to sort of apply the kind of things you've been talking about here uh, to their situation and offer something a little bit, you know, unlike what they're generally being offered? Uh, you'd have to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> but this is your approach, I mean, right? You just, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, no, if uh, if someone says their house is on fire, you know, I'll talk to them about a pail of water. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't, uh, yeah, you have to... You ever yeah, hear of the you ever hear of the Course in Miracles? Sure, yeah. I did a lot of Course in Miracles at one time. Uh-huh. And um they talk about this place here, this appearance as many different levels, yeah? Mm -hmm. So and there are solutions on each level. So let's uh -huh. say if you really believe your house is on fire, then that solution would be a pail of water. Yeah? Right. It wouldn't be that there is no fire and there is no house and there is no water. Would it? Yeah, no. that wouldn't be very practical. It no. probably wouldn't. So that's yeah. the point. So uh, a lot of times people, uh, when they share, you can hear the format they're seemingly in. Yeah. So mm -hmm. then you have to sort of take that into consideration. Yeah, that's very good. I'm glad to hear you say that. It's sort of like you, you kind of you know, teach at, at the level of the listener what you know yeah, whatever yeah. whatever is appropriate for them yeah and i think i think that that in many cases is not done these days you know people do say there is no fire there is no water to someone whose house is on fire and it's really not that helpful to them so you know it's well we don't know that it could be in in time but i th I, I sometimes a rigidity a rigidity sets in uh -huh. yeah 
there's a subtle thing of being right and uh, or whatever, and then that uh, causes you to be rigid in in how where you stand with this. To me, this is a lot more malleable and it, and it's sloppy and dirty. You know, mm-hmm. this to me in like Advaita, there's like Advaita Pharisees. Yeah? they've got the letter of the whole quote unquote message, but then there's no spirit in it. Advaita so, fundamentalists, you might say. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I don't. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's a living, moving activity. Yeah, it's it's verbing constantly, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. No, that's good. I really appreciate that. Um, how'd you come up with the term Zen bitch slap for your website? Zen bitch slap. Well, uh, it was a joke on an old Zen koan. You know the koans you do, but I don't know. Which, which one is that? Uh, the, uh, what's no, I don't. The, the famous one of what's oh, the one sound hand sla- of one, one hand, hand clapping. clapping. So okay. mine is what's the sound of one hand slapping. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Zen bitch slap. And it also implies that, see, selfing is a verb and it can be startled. Yeah. So selfing stops quite a lot. And so the trance that you may be in by being attentive to it as awareness, consciousness, that trance can be broken because the selfing breaks. So there's a what you would call maybe a pause, yeah? Mm. So in that pause, the the sense of what's being implied to be you stops, but something continues. And it can be a really uh, valuable moment, yes? When there's a sense of what you were taking yourself to be has stopped, but there's something that's still continuing, yeah? Yeah. 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 So I yeah, was, like you were, like you were saying earlier, when you hit your head on the bottom surfing, it's sort of like the the shock of that situation kind of knocked you out of your ordinary, you know. Well, the thing is, you as as uh, representing a mental interpretation is never going to get it. There's no mm-hmm. way. In an extreme situation, you are not going to be cool, calm, and collected. The you. It's usually absent. Yeah. In an extreme situation. <laughs> You know what I mean? And the thing is, it's like, uh, <laughs> I always like the joke with this one. Uh, let's just say in in, uh, in some Buddhist things, they say your whole life is really based on the moment of death. Yeah, that's that's the whole point of living is to be prepared for that moment uh-huh. when the body dies. So uh-huh. let's say in your in your life, you've been listening to your head all day, every day. So you notice, like some people, they'll go to work and they... And then uh, around 9 o'clock at night, their mind will tell them they had a bad day. Like, mm-hmm. They were there the whole day, but they had, you know, you would imagine they would be aware that it was bad when it was batting, but now the mind, <laughs> you've had a bad day, and you just go, oh, yeah, I've had a bad day, and you call other people. Didn't, did you have a bad day? Yeah, I thought so. I had a bad day. So let's say you've been listening to that head, and it's a mental process, yeah? So it takes time. It takes time. So conscious contact is a timeless event basically and the interpretation of the conscious contact as I'm the one who's seeing is takes time mm-hmm. yeah yeah conscious contacts timeless mm-hmm. but the interpretation of that event is takes time so let's say you've been displaced from being aware of the conscious contact and now you're just aware of the interpretation so every day you're living and the mind's telling you what happened but what it's telling you is about a moment that's already passed, yeah? Right. So the moment that you're in right now is being used to interpret the previous moment, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So, okay, so now you're living as this interpretation. Then the moment of death occurs, and that, when that death occurs, the body shuts down. 
and yet you are waiting for the next moment for your head to tell you what happened. Yeah? yeah. So you're never going to be aware of your own death in selfie. The only one who's going to know you died is somebody else. Hmm. Yeah? You're never going to know you died because you're on a time lag. You know, the idea of you. I see. Is so a, you're, you're always re interpreting retroactively, and exactly. you're not going to be in a position to interpret after you've died. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you have a big traumatic event, it's, it just startles the whole system. So there's no interpretation of that event for a period of time. Then mm. it comes back, yeah? Kind of shuts off the interpreter. Shuts it off, yet something continues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, so there I am, and then that moment of death is like my friend says, that no one, I'm never going to experience my own death. My death is only experienced by others, yeah? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Because there's, with that time lag, that moment's going to pass, and no, there's not going to be a voiceover. There's no you. There's <laughs> no you that's going to be, that's going to stand over your dead body and go, oh, you're dead now. There isn't a you. It's all, it's like a voice box of the apparatus, yeah, the narrator. And so the practical implication of what you're saying now is what? How do we get onto this track here? No, just see that's, that's the case. If you, see, if you see the activity that's presenting a you, then there's a sense you're not that. That's what you are, is the mm. seeing of what you're not, in my experience. Mm -hmm. My daily experience is I am the seeing of what I'm not. Yeah, that's what I am. That seeing is what I am. The seeing of what I'm not is what I am. Because all I can see here is what I'm not. Yeah? Hmm. So, Do you ever have a... F Some people talk of an evolution of one's, you know, consciousness or de development or whatever to the point where when you see the world, you actually don't see it as what you're not. It's it, it sort of... Uh, you, you enter a unitive phase where you begin to see everything in terms of... The, the self, not the individual self, but the sort of like the universal self. You begin to see the universal essence, which you already have known yourself to be. Uh, again, ter pardon the terminology. That begins to expand out and encompass the whole environment as well. Do you have any flavor of that in your own life? You can, I don't see you can see your essence. Not as an object, not you. as an object, but there's a sort of a... Oh, an uh, intimation? A, an intimation or an intuition or a knowing of, yeah. the, of the essential nature of the object as being the same as the essential nature of oneself, you know, what one has known oneself to be since Oh, awakening. a sense of emptiness, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, that's yeah. not how uh, my apparatus sees things as things, but th there's a sense of what, I don't know if you want to use emptiness, I don't even, that's a concept, but there's a sense of I don't know what. As, it, as if the emptiness kind of permeates everything. It's not just some on some uh, abstract. Uh, I don't even want to go there with that emptiness because that's okay. a word. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what's going on. Let's put it that. <laughs> but well, I don't have any interest in what knowing what's going on. Uh -huh. I really don't. Well, I want you. You do an and you don't. I mean, no, you, I have an you devote in your what's life not going to, on. Okay. I have a great interest in what's not going on, but I have absolutely no interest in what's going on. Huh. Because what's not when I know what's not going on, that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how it works for me. I'm sorry to say it that way. But well, what I'm it. suggesting is that is that the what's not going on is also um, it also oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is the inherent nature of everything that appears to be going on, such that you know, with that perspective, nothing ever happened, even on a on that's an object right. on an objective level. That's right. Yes, that's and that's a strong sense. Nothing. Yeah. Ever.
it is. It's a, it's a sense. It's not like a sort of, and it's not like you don't see cars driving down the street and, you know, birds flying around, but there's, there's a sort of a, but, but that is all sort of permeated with a sense that on, uh, even though that's happening at the same time, it's not happening. There's a, there's a kind of a, uh, yeah. a paradox yeah. there. Yeah. 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 That's a, okay. that's just like, like demonstrations of traveling lighter. Yeah. Hmm. You get demonstrations of it. To me, it's an intimation. You can't put a finger on it, and then uh, there's no desire to put a finger on it. There's just uh, it's just that me going like this. That's the best <laughs> I can do about it, really. There's just yeah. you can. It's sort of like a calling. You can you almost hear it and you sense it, everything. But it's yeah, it, that's where it goes. It's that's its level of appearance is non-appearance in a way. Right. It's nice. I like it. You know, I'm glad you brought up the Course in Miracles thing because it reminded me that when I mentioned that you were going to be on this show, someone said, oh, I hope he talks a little bit about his Course in Miracles thing. I mean, is there anything more that's worth saying about that in terms oh, of Oh, I'd, I'd love the Course in Miracles. I mean, mm -hmm. as it was one of the, in the action figure story, it was a radical, uh, radical fun. Good. I mean, I just laughed more. I laughed like a lot when and, I was when people were reading the course with me or I was at certain events it was just a giant laugh fest because huh. it's just hilarious uh it was just hilarious the the relief of seeing the structure of what I'm not you know it was incredible the structure is a moving structure you see it's not like you moved into a house called what you're not it's a verb it's an activity so but to have it so clearly uh, drawn as if it appeared to be a stagnant structure you could look at and mm -hmm. sort of understand that's an incredible uh, act here and I, that act was performed through the Course in Miracles in me yeah. so you're saying that the Course in Miracles does that it sort of t it builds a, a static edifice of uh, you know what this that which is not or no no it, it brings it's, it, it produces let's say the selfing which mm -hmm. is a verb, it, it structures it so clearly and cleanly, it can appear to be a noun to you so that you can study it. Yes? Uh. It's difficult to study a verb, but right. that's what, for me, the course was personally mm -hmm. or impersonally. It took what was an activity called selfing and it drew it very clearly and laid it there for me to look at whenever I wanted to. In other okay. words, it wasn't like I had to go out into the fields and watch the see if the birds flew by and landed to watch bird watching. It was like, hey, this is it. This is the structure of this. This is how this place, place is produced. This is what mind is doing. This is what the lessons do. They'll change your perceptions. And in that shift of perceptions, you realize the perceptions you had were fucking structured. They're artificial. They're not organic. They're contrived. They're a structured system. And I would say that system is self-centeredness. It's like putting on a helmet. And so they describe the contours of the helmet, how it's like to live in the helmet, and what it's like if you take the helmet off. Yeah, I like that. Uh -huh. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there any, I know you're a little bit pressed for time because you have to go and do a lecture, so we'll wrap it up in a couple minutes. But um, is there anything else uh, that you feel like is, you know, really worth mentioning that we haven't touched upon here? Uh, either in terms of various things you've been through or things you like to say to people that we haven't really said or or have you feel like we've pretty well covered it here for for now 
<laughs> you're at a loss for words. I've never seen you at a loss for words. <laughs> no, well, the point is it's an invitation. So the invitation is really based on on, uh, on the other end of it, what's receiving the invitation. So I'm sure this will uh, do its thing. Yeah, yeah. I sense it. Yeah, we could go on and on. There's a lot to, to uh, delve into. But it's all about, for me, describing what I'm not, yeah? Mm -hmm. And with the sense of if I share that with others, they may see what was being taken to be them as what they're not. And uh, it sort of translates as a traveling lighter, which is, uh, you know, if, you, if this place is a translation, which is, and it's dualistically contrived, so there's either you're traveling heavy or you're traveling light, and then there's tons of degrees in between. If you had a preference, I would rather travel light, yeah? And yeah. so what I found is like the, the thing that's causing it to seem so heavy is what wants it to be light, yeah? Hmm. If you can just give up that, then it tends to get exactly what it wanted by not being there. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting you keep, you keep talking about you know that which is not and that which I'm not. It's uh, the word Maya actually means that which is not. It means which not. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool because I mean that's kind of like the essence of what you've been saying and um, this this whole you know the the word Maya which is usually translated as illusion um, really means that it's it's not what it appears to be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I like it that way. It works that way. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I understand you might be coming to Fairfield um, next fall or something. R my friend Radhika has been really rooting for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so I'll get have to meet you. on my payroll. Yeah. I get to meet you when you come here. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. It'll be fun. Yeah. We'll what happens when they, yeah, if they invite me, I'll come. I know? think they're intending to. Uh, Radhika was talking about, I don't know, September, October, something yeah. like that. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. Good. I have a good feeling about Fairfield. It's a fun place. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, good to get, be good to have you out here. Oh, I'll forget about it as soon as I get off the phone with you. But I'll. Be my, my, my wife says it's a fun place unless you have to live here. <laughs> <laughs> Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. That's right. Well, I'm not planning on moving to Fairfield, but you never. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any water around? <laughs> I need water. Uh, little, a few little reservoirs and ponds and things I may like not that. Do. I need sort of water with agitation in it. Yeah, not much of that. You can get into windsurfing or if you drive an hour and a half, but uh, that's about the extent of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'll probably be here. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, man, thanks. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Paul. It's out good and let me know. Yeah, let me just uh, conclude by uh, telling people that um, you've been watching uh, Paul Hedeman interviewed on Buddha at the Gas Pump. And... Um, there have been about 60 such interviews so far. You can see them all archived at batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P. And you'll find links there to a podcast, to a YouTube channel, an RSS feed if you want to subscribe in your blog. And you can also sign up for an email newsletter to be notified when new interviews are posted, as they are just about every week. So thanks a lot, Paul. And yeah, I'll you. see you when you come to Fairfield. Yeah, take care of yourself. Right.